<laughs> Number one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Chase, for that lovely introduction. Uh, I had the same introduction in first service. I wasn't 100% sure who the other Brit was. I guessed it was Andy King, because there's really only two of us that live in central Illinois. I checked after, and it was, so I made sure to text Andy, my good friend, after first service, and let him know that I'm back to number one. Okay, that uh, until he comes next time, I'm uh, on the podium. So. Um, you know, the bumper video gave us a little bit of a clue as to what we're going to speak about this morning. That is hurry. And hurry, I think, affects every one of us in one way or another. Just recently, this happens to me. Uh, where I live, I live in Washington in the subdivision I live. Um, just around the corner where you turn, uh, there's a bike trail on either side of the road. And connecting the bike trail in the middle is a zebra crossing. That's right. I said zebra crossing because that's how it's pronounced. Z with a Z at the beginning. And... Uh, I don't know how it works here in America, but in England we have lots of zebra crossings. You may be uh, familiar with some of them. I've got a picture of one here, a uh, pretty famous English zebra crossing with uh, four young guys walking across it. Not sure who they are, but uh, keep an eye out for them. They could be big. Um, so in England, the second you step onto the crossing, the car has to stop. Okay, it's law of the road. Here, I've lived here 30 years now, I'm still not 100% sure what the law is because I've been a pedestrian and I've gone to step out and I'm like, that car's not stopping. <laughs> I'm backing up here. So, and when I'm driving sometimes, I can see people, I'm like, oh, do I stop, do I keep going? So this one particular morning, I was going, I could see a guy walking along the bike trail and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna stop. It's the right thing to do. So I pulled up to the zebra crossing, I stopped, but he was still just a few feet away from the edge and rather than carry on walking across, he kind of jumped into a little jog <laughs> and ran because I think he felt that pain of realizing I was now having to wait and he thought, I can't leave him waiting too long. I'll run across the zebra crossing. And I wanted to just wind down the window and say, it's okay. I'm doing this, this series on hurry and I'm slowing down. I'm happy. Take your time. I'll just have some silence and solitude in my car here as I sit, as you walk carefully across the street. But, uh, but that's the world we live in. If someone holds a door open for us, we feel like we've got to jog to it because we can't leave them there waiting too long, can we? Because we're hurry, hurry, hurry. And um, if you're new here this morning, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Please come next week because uh, next week you'll get to hear from the lead pastor again. He's brilliant. So uh, don't base this morning's visit just on me. But um, if you are new, for the last few weeks here at Great Oaks, we've been talking about uh, a series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in this series, we've kind of identified what we've called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. It's like a disease that we are affected by living in 2023 here in the United States of America. And the series, uh, the inspiration behind it is a book by an author called John Mark Comer. He's a pastor and he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, and I read this book for the very first time last year and I loved every page of it. And I hated every page of it because, honestly, it's so well written. It's such a great book and such a great concept. But every page, you're like, ah, that's me. I do that. And I realized as I read this book just how consumed I've become with busyness and hurry. One of the key quotes in this book comes from a, a very famous pastor by the name of Dallas Willard. And the quote is that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. 
As a follower of Jesus, that should uh, get our attention this morning. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. I bet if a month ago, before we started this series, we'd have gone around the room and said, asked you the question, what do you think is the greatest enemy of, of your spiritual life, of Christianity, of the church? You could have come up with a number of answers. But I'd be surprised if any one of us would have said, hurry. And yet, as we've got into this series, we've realized, wow, this is really impacting my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my family. Corrie ten Boom, she once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And I love that quote because the idea is that both sin and busyness have the exact same effect on us. They cut us off from our connection between God to other people, even to our own soul. Now, before you get too uh, down on yourself this morning thinking, man, that's me. I hurry. I'm too busy. Um, I'm a terrible person. Listen to how John Mark Comer explains the idea of busyness. He says, there is a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do. It's when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. And it's so true, isn't it? Preparing for my message this week, I came across this picture on Facebook. It was a friend of mine just shared this little picture, and it was so true. It says, adulthood is saying, but after this week, slows th after this week things will slow down a bit. Over and over and over until you die. <laughs> It's so true, isn't it? For so many of us, it's like, oh, no, no, it's just this week I'm busy. Next week, things will slow down. But next week never seems to come. So it's not that we're busy. It's that we're too busy. And we're trying to cram too many things in. So the, the solution is to recognize that there's too much in our lives and try and strip back a bit. But also, and Jason's been talking this the last couple of weeks, find some, some proactive measures some proactive spiritual disciplines that can work against the busyness and the hurry in our lives. The first week he talked about the idea of silence and solitude, how beneficial it is for all of us in our busy, busy lives to, to carve out time for silence and solitude. But it can be so hard to do, can't it? Last year, I was invited to speak uh, to a group of college students from ISU, and they were having their fall retreat at a campground uh, down. It was called um, Little Galilee Campground, just south of Bloomington. And uh, my wife and I, we drove down there. We found the campground. We drove all the way to the back of the campground where the meetings were being held. And I got into this, this hall, and we got set up. And it was a Friday night, all day Saturday and Sunday morning. And uh, I was just kind of waiting there for things to get started. And obviously, I had a little bit of spare time. So I did what we all do in our spare time. I grabbed my phone out of my pocket and because uh, I was kind of like, better check it. I haven't checked it for uh, about five minutes now. And as I pulled it out of my pocket, to my horror, no service. Yeah, no Wi-Fi. Do you know how many times that weekend I pulled my phone out of my pocket, just instinctively, because there'd been kind of a downtime, and I'm like, better. And all I could do was use the calculator. Nothing else on there had any value to me at all. <laughs> but silence and solitude is saying, you know, rather than just jump to those things I do, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to choose to have some time here to reflect on God, to be silent, to be in his presence. And then last week, we talked about Sabbath. Silence and solitude are great, but Sabbath is great as well. 
Sabbath is choosing to follow God's instruction of, of having a day a week where we choose to rest. I was thinking about it um, as I was listening. I've been listening to your messages for the last few weeks to prepare for this morning. As I was listening to Jason talk about Sabbath last week, it got me thinking. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning and somebody came up to you and said, Hey, how's life? How's work? And you responded with, It is crazy. I am so busy right now. Things at work are crazy. I haven't had a day off in three weeks. People wouldn't think anything of it. But you imagine if somebody said to you, Hey, how's life? How's work? Oh, it's crazy. So busy. And these people at work, they are driving me crazy. So I've, I've killed three of them. <laughs> Just, I've had enough. Murdered them. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, I'm not sure as a follower of Jesus you're allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that at all. <laughs> but did you know that in the Ten Commandments, do not commit murder and keep the Sabbath holy are both in there. But for some reason, we have a real issue with murder. <laughs> but not too much of a concern with the Sabbath. And yet it's right there in the list. And if you didn't listen to last week's message, it was brilliant. It was so good at, at just reminding us what Sabbath truly looks like. Jesus, who had so many more reasons than us to be busy. People wanted to spend time with him. People wanted to hear his teaching. People come from all over them to be healed. He's still, in the midst of the busyness, found time for silence and solitude. And Sabbath. And today we're going to discover that he also modeled another great discipline to combat the hurry in our lives. And that's simplicity. Today we're going to talk about simplicity. So what do I mean by that? Well, let me set it up with a few uh, quotes here from Jesus himself. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Again, in Luke chapter 12, a bit further on, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasures for you in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 33, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Seek first God's kingdom. And if you continue to read through the Gospels, again and again, this, this teaching comes out from Jesus. And as we listen to it, we, we, we just want to say, but Jesus, that is so opposite to how my life is today. That's so opposite to the message that I hear every single day. On the radio, in newspapers, in posters, magazines, on the internet, it's complete opposite of what I'm hearing. The gospel of Jesus seems to be the opposite of what we've become more accustomed to. This is what I call the gospel of America. The gospel of America. The gospel of America. And to be honest, most of the world is the exact opposite claim. In a nutshell, it says, the more you have, the happier you will be. You want to be happy? You need more things because they'll make you happy. And the words of Jesus are completely opposite to that. So as followers of Jesus, it's tough because we, we want to listen to him and follow him, but we're being inundated with this idea that stuff will make us happy. He, uh, the author, John Mark Comer, he talks about this in the book, how this has changed and, and accelerated over the last hundred years. There was a time here, just a hundred years ago in America, where people were happy with just having their, their needs met, the things that they needed to live. 
But now it's so much more. It's our wants. It's our desires. A big part of this is because companies now pay advertisers a lot of money to convince us to buy their stuff. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but advertisers, they have two main goals. The first goal is to convince you that you're not happy. The second goal is to then tell you, but if you buy this, it'll make you happy. And again and again and again, that message comes out. And to any of us here this morning who have ever bought a Lincoln, only to discover that we didn't get the same chiseled abs and sexy voice of Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) you'll know they're lying to us. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) And yet, we fall for it again and again and again because we are just caught up in this idea. And Jesus wants to set us free from this to help us choose simplicity. Now, some of you here may already be thinking, okay, Dave, I understand what you're saying, I I get it, but has this got anything to do with hurry? What does simplicity have to do with hurry? Well, think about this. Every single thing you buy costs you not only money, but also time. Everything you buy comes with more than just the price tag, it comes with a cost of time. About 20 years ago, Casey, my wife and I, we lived up in the suburbs of Chicago, a place called Lake Zurich. Uh, It was a beautiful place. We were on staff at a church there for about seven years. And uh, where we lived, we actually had access to the lake. So there came a time where a guy in the church was uh, selling a boat that he had, this speedboat. And uh, we had enough money saved up at the time so we could afford to buy this boat. So we bought this boat. And it was awesome. We went out on the lake, and it was just beautiful out there. And we sped around. We jet skied. We did tubing. We just had such a lot of fun. But even though we had the money saved up to buy the boat, we now had to pay for insurance, a boat slip. We had to pay to winterize it. We had to get it ready again for summer. There was a lot of time spent getting it in and out of the water, serviced, cleaned, maintained. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a boat. Maybe some of you are here thinking, I know, I bought a boat. <laughs> the guy who sold me my boat said the two, hardest day, the two best days in your life are the day you buy a boat and the day you sell it. <laughs> Just a little warning there. But I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a boat or a motorcycle or a vacation home, whatever it is you've purchased. Just be aware, it will cost you more than the price tag of the item itself. It'll cost you time. And less time means more hurry. Now, you may have weighed that up and thought, you know, as a family, this boat will give us more time. We love it because we can go out on the lake together. This will be some quality time. And and for my wife and I, that's what it was. For many years, we enjoyed life on the lake. Our kids were babies, so sometimes they'd come out. Other times, we'd leave them uh, (laughs) with someone and then (laughs) go out on the boat. Um, And then we moved down to Peoria, and uh, we bought a house down here. And we decided to take the boat out for the first time on the Illinois River. Much different experience (laughs) than beautiful Lake Zurich. Our kids were a bit older. They screamed the entire way out, screamed the entire way back. They suddenly were old enough to realize we are in a very small boat and a very large body of water. This is terrifying. So at that point, it became no longer valuable to us as a family. We sold the boat. But the reality is, you may be able to um, look at these purchases and say, okay, no, this, this brings value to our family. But the truth is, it does cost more than just the price of the item. And what it'll also do is it'll add to, uh, add to the list of stuff in your life. And at some point, we all have to ask that question, how much stuff 
is enough. Because the sad thing is, whether you're into boats, sneakers, or designer purses, most of us simply have too much stuff to enjoy life at a healthy, unhurried pace. And if you're a Jesus follower here this morning, that stuff can get in the way of your relationship with God. I was amazed to listen to Jason's message. It was either last week or the week before, and he was talking about um, how much stuff we as Americans have. So much that the storage facility business is booming. He told us that 2.3 billion square feet of America is covered by storage facilities. That's crazy. I don't understand that number, so I'm glad that he broke it down for us and said what that equates to is seven square feet of storage space for every single person in America. That's shocking. I was in Africa earlier this year with World Vision, I went to a place in Tanzania where a small community, they had no access to clean water, and World Vision was helping to put a well in their community. And I met a single mom with four children, and they lived in this small brick house just by themselves. So they slept in the same room, they lived in the same room, they cooked in the same room. I don't think this little house was much bigger than seven square feet. And we have storage facilities that size over here for our stuff. And it's tough. Because as followers of Jesus, we wrestle with this because the reality is this is the world in which we live. But maybe it's time to look at that and use this book as a challenge to say, well, maybe this isn't how it should be. Maybe we need to change the way we look at our stuff. Comer says in the book, simplicity is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions towards what matters most. Jesus challenged us in this very idea. Jesus challenged us in this idea. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Speaking to the people, he went on, Take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and you can now retire. Take it easy and and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Now, I know this can be difficult to read this as we look at our lives. And what I want to assure you of this morning is that Jesus isn't saying having money or wealth is wrong. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a business owner and you want your business to grow. You want to provide for your family. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think what Comer is suggesting is that one of the most spiritual acts we can partake in is to look for ways to simplify our lives when it comes to this stuff, to get our priorities right. So over the last few weeks, if you've been here, um, you've been sent away with some very practical challenges. And I want to do that for you again this morning. On this idea of simplicity, I just want to give you four very simple ideas. Maybe as a family, maybe as a couple, you'll, you'll embrace one of them, two of them. Maybe you'll talk together and you'll embrace all four of them. But I want us to look at them together, and I want to be honest with you this morning, these are four things that I struggle with 
And I am the same things I'm constantly asking myself. So, when it comes to the discipline of simplicity, here are four ideas you could try. Number one, never impulse buy. Never impulse buy. My kids hate this one. Because we, we live this as a family. So as my kids were growing up, we'd be somewhere, we'd be on vacation, and, and they'd be like, Dad, Dad, can I get this? Please, I've got to have this. I've got to have this. Well, you know, let's, let's go back to the room. We'll think about it. We'll come back tomorrow. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if you really do need it, you know, if that's, what you, if that's what you want to spend your money on. Sometimes after 24 hours, they just had to have it. They hadn't stopped thinking about it, and that was fine. They had some pocket money. They had the money saved, so we'd let them go back and buy it. Other times, by the time we got back, they realized they actually didn't really even want it. And what was good for my kids, I think is good for us as well. That we should try to be people that don't impulse buy. Before we buy something, let's talk to our spouse about it. Let's pray about it. The bigger the expense, the more time we spend talking and praying. Weigh it up. Ask ourselves, what's the true cost of this item? It may just cost me this, but with everything else that comes with it, how much is it really going to cost it? Will it add value to my life? Will it help me enjoy God and his world and my loved ones more? Or will it just distract me from what really matters? I shared this idea at Connect a while back on a Sunday morning. And between services, a lady came up to me. She goes, Dave, got to tell you, I love the idea. Never impulse by it, but you don't understand. TJ Maxx. <laughs> she said, when I see something, if I was to leave it there and come back, it might be gone. I, I was like, I get it. I understand. This is difficult. But it is hard. It is hard. And just as a little side note, I fully understand what Jason has done here. We are five days from Black Friday. We are five weeks from Christmas. Let's let someone else talk about simplifying and getting rid of stuff and not spending too much money. I don't want to be the bad guy, he thinks. Let's bring in that number two favorite Brit, and he can talk about it. Number one, never impulse buy. Number two, declutter. Declutter. Some of us, maybe we need to go through the wardrobes, the basement, and get rid of some of the stuff that we've still got, the stuff that we're holding onto. Maybe you need to have a garage sale. Maybe you need to accept that despite your hope, that thing you've been holding onto for four years now, because you might still use it one day, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I said this in first service, I got away with it. I'm not going to get away with it in second service because my wife is here. I've got a box in the basement full of cables <laughs> that I'm convinced one day I might need to use. And adapters and technology that's been out of service for years, but I've kept those adapters just in case. She's like, will you get rid of that box? All of us have got stuff in our house. And maybe before we start acquiring more stuff, we should get rid of some of the stuff we've allowed to simplify our lives. How much time do we spend moving stuff from one room to another? It's consuming our lives. You know, as well as declutter, another idea is we could donate. Tis the season. We're coming up on Christmas time, and, and maybe what we could do is, is as a way of decluttering, we could look for, to, for some ways to, to donate some of those items that we no longer use. Something that's been sitting unused in our home for a while could be of huge value to someone else. What a great time of the year to, to have like a little inventory check around the house and say, you know, we don't use this as much, but I know a family who could use that. 
Our kids are grown up now, but some of these toys and clothes, that young family who's just beginning, I bet this would really bless them to be able to give their items. Rather than selling it all, you know, maybe we could look to give away some things. Never impulse buy, declutter, donate. And then the final idea this morning, budget. Budget. One of the things that you'll probably learn throughout this series is that the word no is a complete sentence. <laughs> no. That's all you need to say. When, when you look at your schedule and your calendar and it's getting busier and busier, it's okay to say no. <laughs> I need to create some space, some, some, some room here in the busyness of my life. And it's okay to say no. Well, a budget is simply your way of saying no to some purchases. It's creating a, a schedule of your purchases and knowing what you can say yes to and what you really should say no to. Having a budget will help you make sure that your treasure is going to the right place and not being squandered. Again, four super practical, simple ideas. But just like last week, or maybe the week before when, when Jason was talking about silence, and we decided wouldn't it wouldn't be really easy just to sit for one minute or two minutes of silence. If you were here, how hard that was. Because <laughs> we're so used to noise and busyness. These are simple ideas, these four ideas. But they go against everything we are being told every day about stuff, what we need. And what if as followers of Jesus, we simply decided that simplicity that looking to maybe declutter, get, get rid of some of the stuff, is part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's part of what it means to live a less busy and hurried life, to appreciate more what we do have. Several years ago, I uh, got to attend a conference, and one of the uh, opportunities through a group I was connected with was that we got to go out to lunch one day. There's just about 20 of us, 20 pastors, and we went to this restaurant. We had a private room, and they had a guest come in and sit with us and have lunch with us, and then he spoke to us at the end. His name was Wes Stafford, and if you've not heard of Wes Stafford, Wes Stafford wrote a book called Too Small to Ignore, and he was actually the founder of Compassion International. I think for about 50 years, he ran this organization from its humble beginnings to the global organization that it is today. His inspiration to begin this organization was that he himself grew up on the mission field, grew up in Africa and saw children living in extreme poverty, came back to America and realized, hey, we have so many resources here, we could make a difference. The, the vision of compassion is to uh, rescue children from poverty in Jesus' name. He was talking to us at this lunch, telling us stories about the organization. Just a fascinating guy. And then at one point, he asked us a question. He said, what do you think is the opposite of poverty? Well, is it money? Wealth? Riches? Belongings? He says, nope, you're all wrong. He said, in my opinion, the opposite of poverty is enough. He said, let me explain. He said, I've been to some of the poorest places in the world where children are literally living in poverty because they don't have enough food, enough clean water, enough medical help. And I want to change that. He said, but because of my role in my job, I've actually got to sit next to some of the wealthiest people in the world. And as I've got to know them, I've discovered that they too 
live in poverty because they don't have enough. They're always looking for the next bigger and better thing they can buy. He said the opposite of poverty is enough. It's rescuing people who haven't got enough, and it's rescuing people who are chasing too much to accept enough. So maybe that can be our prayer this week as we leave and as we go into this week. God, help me, especially in this season of buying and Black Friday and Christmas, help me, God, to know what's enough. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and if I'm honest, this, this book, I read it for the first time last year, and still, every time I go back to it, it just challenges me on how busy my life has become, how, how hurry sickness is a real thing, Lord. It impacts us emotionally, physically. It impacts our families. There are many things we can do, Lord, to, to combat this, many spiritual disciplines that we can try to pursue, and one of those is simplicity. It's to try and simplify areas of our life. This is so difficult, Jesus, because... It's so normal in the day and age that we live to have stuff, too much stuff, more than enough stuff, to buy more stuff, to buy a new model of something that the old model was just fine, but we're convinced we need the new one. And we get caught up in this desire to keep buying more, and everything costs us more than just the price of the item. There is time and energy, and we get busier and busier. So God, I pray in Jesus' name that as we leave today, we will be able to ask you that difficult question. God, for me, how much is enough? Help me to be satisfied, Lord, when I find that I have enough. Help me to go against the, the narrative of the day and to follow your teaching, Jesus. Because you modeled this. You lived this, Lord. You knew the importance of treasures, not on earth, but treasures in heaven. So help me, Lord Jesus, to live my life, wanting to, to build my treasure in heaven not here on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name.